J Files on Double J. When Pendulum released their debut album in 2005, they had no idea the impact it would have. A few years earlier, the Perth band had made a bold decision to move to London, the birthplace of drum and bass. Over the next few years, Pendulum's overseas fan base grew and grew. They found themselves playing to massive crowds in huge arenas across the UK and Europe. And then they released one of the highest selling drum and bass albums of all time. I'm Kaz Tran, this is The J Fights. exploded out of London's club scene in the late 80s. Stemming from hardcore and Jamaican dub and reggae sounds, it fused two decades of black music and youth culture. It hit its apex in the 90s and by the early 2000s it was on the come down. It was around this time that Perth schoolmates Rob Swire and Gareth McGrillan discovered electronic music. They had no idea at the time that they'd go on to be drum and bass superstars, amassing a huge global following. I spoke to Rob and Gareth from Pendulum for the J5. It was an all-encompassing chat about their move to the UK and the impact of their debut album, Hold Your Colour. We kicked off by talking about some of their earliest musical influences. You know, one formative thing I remember is is being in in Perth. I think think it was at Quasar, if you know what that is. Um, You know, like a laser tag game and like you go in a dark room and like people shoot each other with like laser pack things on their chest. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah, in Perth it was called Quasar. I think it must have yeah. mustn't have been nationwide. <laughs> I, I assumed it was. <laughs> I had some uh, had some track at Quasar. It turned out to be like Technotronic, pump up the jam, and I, and I went to my cousin who was like who was into sort of rave and stuff at the time, and I was like, what the what the hell is that song that I heard? And he sort of gave me the tape with all, all these sort of like underground tr- rave tracks from England, and that track was on there, and it sort of blew my mind. After a decade of awful 80s music, which I wasn't into at the time at all, it was just like a shining, shining light from the clouds here in the I was like, what is that? Strangely enough, I had a very similar experience with electronic music, just like Rob. Not at Cusar, but the same the same music from Snap and Black Box and and you know Pump Up the Jam, etc. But it was actually on my my mum had a friend who had a, a discman, which was actually really 
really fascinating piece of kit back back when it first came out and she had this cd on it that was that was pumped up the jam and i remember i was wandering around their house and found this disc and probably shouldn't have been i remember putting it on and just being so like like rob said the crowd the clouds parted and, and rays of light descended when when i first heard electronic music and I went down and asked them, like, what, what the hell is this? And she was like, oh, it's aerobics music. That's what I do, That's what I do aerobics to. Further on, then music really became a big part of both of our lives when we were in high school. It was omnipresent growing up, but never never more than late teens. I think me and Gaz actually met over sort of electronic music because at, yeah, at the time yeah. at, at school, it's like the stuff that was big was like, I don't know. This is, so this is like post Coco Bain's death. So it's like Rage Against the Machine is cool and like Blink-182 and, and yeah. um, all that sort of stuff. And, and according to basically everyone at the school, uh, all electronic music was techno and it was usually followed by a word beginning with F, with like a disparaging word for gay people. Uh, yeah. That was what they called electronic music. So Gareth sort of comes up to me at lunchtime. He's like, do, do, do you like electronic music? Like he's trying to sell me some crack or something. And I'm like, yeah, that's, a, you know, that's how we met. We had to be closeted uh, electronic music fans in Perth around circa 1994 to 99. It was, it was a it was a hidden thing. Besides all that, we we were in a band as well, you know, and we'd we'd been we were coming up at the same time as Carnival, alongside guys like that um, on the I guess you'd call it new metal scene in Perth. So the, there was there was sort of tandem things happening, and I guess at, at one stage we'd realised that we had to choose one or the other so there was definitely there was definitely a moment i sort of remember where we we were still in the band but we still had we, we were doing sort of electronic music on the side and i sort mm. of remember our mate's dad had a studio the mate i'm talking about is actually shock one so we were all in a band and i remember sort of in my in my mind just like imagining the path to actually doing something and, and then the path the band path is like i couldn't see where it went you know there were so many bands out there and all of them amazing Whereas the electronic music one, I can sort of see the next steps. Being the other band in Perth in competition with Carnival just wasn't viable for us. Those guys are incredible. <laughs> so it wasn't a hard decision then to make, you know, if you had to go off against no. Carnival or make your own electronic music, the, the choice was yeah. obvious. And, and also drum and bass was this brand new thing for us. Obviously, it had been around for a while in the UK, but in its new iteration, which was a lot darker and, and almost in, in a strange way has a similar energy to metal, that was so brand new and exciting to us. I think it was a very quick jump from one pool into the next. So uh, were there any other uh, Perth-based artists at the time, uh, you know, when, when drum and bass was taking off? Um, you know, you talked about yourself and Shock One, but were, were there others who, you know, you were really kind of emulating or inspired by, you know, that were coming up um, and, and was kind of pricking up your ears? I guess you'd have to go across the uh, across the pond for that because the only real big Southern Hemisphere act was Concord Dawn from New Zealand. I guess they were the only others that were really that had really made it internationally, whereas we hadn't at that point. They sort of gave us our, our leg up as well. Yeah, um, they, yeah. They'd, co they'd come to town to sort of play at, play at uh, El Hornets Club, 
and um, I think Paul was Paul was uh, driving them to the uh, to the venue, and sort of was like, "Oh, do you want to hear a demo from my from my group?" <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, go on then." And he, and he, and he played uh, our first track, Volt, and he was like, "Holy shit, Kaz, this is pretty good." Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they were in a position to was- pass it to, to the right people. Yeah, they, they, they passed it on to some sort of uh, UK UK labels and it all happened from there. Right. So were Concord Dawn uh, a large part of that that initial decision to move to the UK before Hold Your Colour even came out? Um, not really. They they hated the UK. Well, uh, no. um, <laughs> that, that's, they, I don't know. that's true. Yeah, they... Um, I think they were still based in New Zealand and still were, were for a while. But um, what, what convinced us to move to the UK is just... But back then, it was like if you didn't live in the UK, you were at a massive disadvantage. And um, one of the sort of figureheads of the scene at the time, DJ Fresh, sort of said to us, look, sign with my label, you can come over here. I'll give you a sort of place to sort of stay rent-free in London for a year. And we were like, damn, well, that's pretty good because otherwise we could never afford it, you know? Yeah, since, so, since our life savings bought us about, about a week of rent in in the UK, in <laughs> yeah, Australian dollars to pounds then was like like three to one, so it wasn't it wasn't an easy time to have Aussie dollars. Can you tell me a little bit more about the making of that tune, Vault, which was so crucial and such huge sound as well? I mean, can you talk us through the process of of putting that song together? Um, your, computer, your computer crashed and you had to start from scratch. Yeah, my computer completely crashed and I, and I lost about sort of, sort of, I don't know, five to eight years of work that had come before that. But it was kind of refreshing since I had to start from nothing. I could wow. like to do that again, but, but hopefully not. But um, I, I do think it was weirdly sort of refreshing in terms of like thinking of new stuff um, and and having nothing to sort of build from. But yeah, so it was a relatively quick quick track, I think. Right, but I mean, the bones of it were were they lost in that uh, computer crash that you had, losing five to eight years' work? There was an, an initial version of that that's, that got lost, but then when we started again, it sort of came together differently. Um, and inevitably kind of turn into a different track. Right. For better or worse. It was switching the beat into a, a swing measure in the middle of in the middle of each section that I think was what made that track stand out from so many others. Because obviously DJs require a song to be very consistently, you know, four on the floor in in time measure for them to be able to mix it with, you know, from vinyl to vinyl. So going and doing doing that prevented a DJ from from having two songs mixed in at the same time. So they'd they'd have to cross over to our song at that point or else they would just sound like an idiot. And, you know, I guess maybe we, we thought, is this, you know, Actually, I don't think at any point we, we thought it was a bad idea where it just it sounded so right to, to have that swing beat in there. And I think that's what made it really a standout anthem in drum and bass. Pendulum's move to the UK was a big part of their success. 
there was a much bigger drum and bass scene and good support networks. It was an experience that pushed the band financially, emotionally and creatively. And the result was their 2005 debut album, Hold Your Colour. I mean, we'd, we'd just done so many releases and they were just sort of A and B sides. And I, I think we just got to a point where an album was, was a relevant idea to sort of put our stamp as an artist on, on drum and bass. Because up to that point, it had been single, single, single. I also think it was kind of like, it, it was more more than like meeting people, giving us tips and stuff. It, it was more like the, uh, it was such a sort of weird time moving to this different country. I was like, oh man, these, these houses are pretty small and there's sort of like so many more people on the street and the sort of the shops are so quaint and shit that it was um, a weird sort of culture shock moment. And there was also some weird stuff going on like signing record deals and we didn't know what the hell we were doing. And it was, so, mm. so I think, you know, I think um, Hold Your Colour was great. It was kind of the, the sound of um, culture shock and sort of sleep deprivation, among other things. <laughs> and there was a, co- a combination of UK and Australian artists who, who worked on that record. Why did you choose to bring so many people in? It's the um, done thing in drum and bass. Yeah, it was just the done thing. Like you always had featured artists, featured vocalists and stuff. Um, so I guess we were, just, we were just trying to fit in at the time. And were there any that were like really – surprising that you really spun out uh you know having working on your debut album i mean not in a not in a sort of uh wow we're working with this person sort of way but like uh probably the most spun out was working with um um mc spider for tarantula not the guy who actually sung the tarantula chorus because that guy's voice is louder than satan like it's <laughs> it's what it's like i don't know how you'd have to use like a decibel meter to grab the reading but jesus it's, it's one of the only times i've needed like earplugs sitting next to a, a vocalist in the studio. He's serious with that. So what was happening in drum and bass in in the UK, if we could go back there uh, at the time. And what impact did you see that your debut album had on the scene? It divided it in a way. Well, not quite yeah. as much as it did. Not not quite as much as it did later, but it definitely divided it. Right. Yeah, it was weird. It kind of like, uh, I mean, we didn't know this at the time because we were sort of like we had our heads stuck in the scene so much. But uh, like we got told by a whole bunch of sort of figureheads from the scene after that, like men, like, Thank you, God, you guys came along because the scene was sort of having trouble or floundering a bit before that. But we did, I mean, we had no idea of that at the time. It didn't seem like it was. Um, but so, in a weird way, it kind of like, it, it, I think it kind of boosted it and gave it some longevity and kind of divided it. And almost as if it took two dudes who'd grown up outside of the London scene to come, come in from a different perspective and kind of shake it up a bit. I think you nailed it just there, Gareth. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes takes outsiders with, you know, a clear vision of what they want to do just to not care and, and do what, you know, you feel is right. And I think, you know, dividing people is a, a surefire sign that your group's made a defining kind of statement in a lot of ways. <laughs> you, you, can, you can always have an idea of what it sort of seems like when you live somewhere like Perth and we're like, yeah, we, we bet it's kind of the same but sort of bigger with bigger clubs. But, man, it, it was completely different, like a different audience. You had all these little 
sorts of shows up north with sort of where every dude in the crowd was wearing a cap and stuff, sort of 25,000 people venues. It was just, yeah, it was completely different. Yeah. Are you talking about in the UK, people wearing caps? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, what what were some of the highlights of those uh, earlier, early days and, and gigs that really blew you away? It must have been such a shock to your mind playing these tiny clubs in Perth and then going to the UK. It's terrifying. The the, the second terrifying. day I got, the, the second day I arrived, uh, second day after arriving, Paul and Rob took me because they they'd arrived a month or two before me, and we went to this thing called Helter Skelter, which is a big rave legacy in in the uk and it was at milton Keynes uh, convention center so it was literally it was a warehouse full of twenty five thousand people and they were all blowing those vuvuzela for you know the ones that they had at the world cup those those kind of horns yes so it was like so it was like the horns of jericho you could hear <laughs> miles away before you even got to the venue it was just the whole thing was just bizarre and different and terrifying intimidating I mean, it's it- very intimidating in comparison to like the Perth scene, the Perth, Perth night, nights were like a fucking tea party compared to what it was like in the UK. It was chaos. That's Rob Swire and Gareth McGrillan from Pendulum reflecting on their huge debut album, Hold Your Colour. It was an album that saw the Perth band kickstart a resurgence in drum and bass and take the sound to a huge global audience. The J-Files is produced by Gab Burke. I'm Kaze Tran. Thanks for listening. The J-Files.